welcome to LEAD, a podcast from the Lakes Education Action Drive, a nonprofit organization dedicated to preserving the natural beauty and quality of lakes in Polk County, Florida. Established in 1985, LEAD has taken an active role in the pursuit to preserve our lakes and environmental resources. In addition, LEAD encourages residents to take advantage of the many excellent opportunities our lakes provide. Before we get started, LEAD would like to thank our sponsor, Florida's Horizon, a company dedicated to building bridges and providing solutions between the regulated and the regulators. LEAD is recorded at the Off Brian Studios in beautiful Central Florida. Now, sit back and enjoy this episode. Water means different things to different people. This conversation is about what water means to you. Each of our home, our family life, our livelihood, our cultural practices, our well-being, and our local environment, water means different things to different people. In many households, schools, and workplaces, water can mean health, hygiene, dignity, and productivity. What about cultural, religious, and spiritual places? Water can mean a connection with creation, community, and even oneself. Have you had the opportunity to sit on the bank of Lake Hollingsworth? Water may have meant harmony, preservation. But today, from growing populations, increasing demands of agriculture and industry, and the potential impact from climate change, water is under more and more threat. Before I ask the obvious question, let us talk to someone who has been around the world, helping people bring fresh and clean water to people with limited access to our most precious resource. Today's podcast, we feature Kaylee Kushmer. Kaylee has taken many trips to the Amazon, Costa Rica, and even Nepal, helping those in need of fresh water. From digging wells to educating people on water quality. Kaylee understands the importance of clean water. She also understands how we take for granted that when we turn on the faucet, water comes out. You know, with World Water Day on March 22nd, today, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk with someone with experience in the lack of fresh, clean water around the world. By the way, if you caught her last name, yes, Kaylee is related to me. She is my daughter. So, Kaylee, welcome to the LEAD Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dad. I'm glad to be here. Glad you're here, too. Mm -hmm. So, why don't you start out by talking about, really, what led you to the mission of clean water? Well, water has been a part of my life growing up on a fish farm in South Hillsborough County. We were surrounded by fish ponds and water and grew up fishing on the Tampa Bay and Gulf of Mexico so water has always been a big part of my life and like you were saying earlier probably something I just took for granted and didn't really think twice about. In college my first um, big girl job was with the Southwest Florida Water Management District 
teaching students K through 12 on the um, water issues and conservation and just um, overall education of Florida's water. So that's where I started um, in a, a career sense, understanding water. And then uh, I learned about this amazing nonprofit based out of North Carolina called Wine to Water. It was founded by a bartender. And at the time in my early 20s, I was working in hospitality part-time. So his story resonated with me. So he was serving people in a restaurant setting and raising funds to turn those funds into clean water solutions around the world. So by learning about wine to water, I signed up for my first trip and that was to the Amazon jungle. And I'm sure we'll talk more about my time as uh, an employee at wine to water after that trip. But that trip definitely changed my life and opened up my uh, perspective to the worldwide worldwide water crisis. Wine to water, you know, it's a play on the words. They sell wine mm-hmm. and use those proceeds for projects, correct? Right. So they have their own wine label. Uh, wine is made in California. Proceeds from each of the wine bottle sales do go back to the water project. So, uh, but it's grown to be much larger than that. And them, along with a lot of other amazing organizations, are using um, resources and funds, which I've learned through my time working there, it it actually is not that expensive to work on the water crisis and to provide clean water, like you were saying. I don't know if you mentioned this, but there's plenty of water in the world. There is, you know, the world is mostly made up of water, but it's not clean, drinkable water. So um, there's missions out there. One, educating people about what water is usable for drinking, eating, cooking, things like that and what water um, should be left for non-potable water. However, there's um, so many communities out there that uh, lack access to the water. Um, They're getting plenty of rainfall, but they don't have infrastructure to catch the water, to clean the water. So when I was working with Wine to Water and leading volunteer trips around the world, we really focused on first building relationships with locals. Uh, We would identify leaders, people that the community members respected in their villages and that they looked up to, and we would really spend time building relationships with them, finding out what their specific water issues were in those communities, using local people, local resources, before we ever even made our plan to start the water project. So those water issues in different parts of the world, or specifically wine to water work, looked different from community to community, even within the same country, sometimes just depending on natural factors or even political or governmental factors. So you, it was very important to us to build those relationships and understand the problem first. Then we set to work using local resources so that as things malfunction down the road, as everything will, the local people can use their resources to fix their whether it be a well, a latrine, a filter system, whatever it may be. When we would talk about it after one of your trips, that's something I didn't really think about. You know, you, it's all about education. So you can bring the resources and, and use the local resources and teach them about the local resources and the importance of filtering water or digging the well the way they should dig it but you're teaching them to do it. You, you're, maybe you're getting them a leg up on it, mm-hmm. but in reality, you're teaching them mm-hmm. to manage their own health. 
Right. So education is a huge piece of that, but also the byproduct of the education and the relationship is empowerment and letting these people know how valued they are, a, a life, human, animal, whatever it be, whatever it be, all living things need clean water to survive. And these people that were born into a region of the world that it's just not available to them by working alongside of them and building those relationships and educating, you're actually empowering them and improving their sense of self-worth and, um, and quality of life, their health and, and their opportunities to, without water, children are not able to go to school. So education comes after you have clean water and health and, and all of the positive things about life. It starts with clean water. So it kind of relates back in Polk County. We went through a drought a few years ago and we saw the effects of not being able to move water where it needs to be. Well, I can make a point to that. You just reminded me of a time when I was in a small village in Nepal. We were on the border of India and Nepal in the Chitwan National Forest. We were drilling wells manually. There was no electricity that we were using. Where the locals had put in the work prior to us arriving is they found where a water the water table was sitting at a closer place to the surface than maybe a more ideal location for the well. So it was right in front of someone's home instead of in the middle of the community. So we spent about a half a day's work working with the community and, and creating an agreement amongst the villagers because like you were saying, sometimes the solution is not the, the easiest. So we had to build the well in front of one person's home, which we could create in this sort of culture, kind of commandeering for that one family. But we were able to work with the locals and, and, and you know create that sense of pride and community so that everyone actually signed in a journal to share that well so that we could use less resources, dig the well down, to a shallower well as opposed to having to find more resources to go deeper in a more central part of the community. Largest takeaway I have from the few years I spent in the field is just the sense of community and the sense of working together with your neighbors because resources were limited and it created that uh, reliance on one another and they truly, truly understood that quality of life and that means of survival so no, the, the government does not, you know, put those kind of mandates in place where, you know, Florida does, and, and Florida does. Florida's government does a great job of protecting Florida's water. But no, in these remote villages and and you know, developing countries around the world, they do not have that type of infrastructure. But it is more reliant on the people to understand that, um, and I think that they they truly grasp that far better than us Westerners do. What a great perspective. You know, and I think that's one of the things you taught me a lot as well is just it, they don't really see it as a lack of anything. We take a lot of things for granted here in America about our stuff, where we live and things. Mm -hmm. They may not have the things we have, but they don't see it as a lack of anything, do they? Mm, no, definitely not. One thing that we did on our volunteer trips Every night we would debrief, so we would take a group of volunteers and the volunteers would just live amongst our local team and local partners, so we really integrated into the community. And every night we would sit down and debrief on the day and, and really round out what we were experiencing. And there was a lot of emotions every evening that we would talk about, but one main 
common thread we would mention uh, or go in depth on is the idea of poverty and defining poverty. People's perspectives truly change when they're out in the field. You know, in the Western culture, we define poverty as financial means or um, materialistic things. In a developing world, they don't even see it that way. That poverty is lack of relationships, lack of family, lack of community, lack of uh, life's purpose. That's truly what a person in these developing countries that we get to go and, and, and do life with for those trips, what they would tell us, what they, how they would define poverty. So they do not even see themselves as, as poor, impoverished, um, because they're rich in faith and family and, and all of the things, the untangible things so we were very particular to not come in as, you know, the saviors on white horses, providing water and resources and more so just like I was saying, wanting to build relationships and, you know, educate these people on the benefits and the importance of clean water and how it will prolong their lives and prolong um, their health and, and it's for future generations. Uh, but yeah, that was always a, a really amazing takeaway for both myself and, and people that got to serve on these trips is is just a new perspective on poverty and quality of life. You started by going on a trip. Did you go on one or two or how many did you go on before you realized you wanted to work for this organization and, and they wanted you to work for them? So I, I took two trips as a volunteer. My first one was when I was, like I said, early 20s. Pretty funny story, especially telling you this story or the podcast listeners. I signed up for this Amazon jungle trip. I had been doing a lot of my own travel domestically, but I, I wanted more. So I signed up to go to Brazil, Peru, and Colombia on the, Amaz on the Amazon River. And I remember landing in Bogota, Colombia and meeting the trip leader for the first time and um, just talking about how it was pretty cool that my family was so supportive and trusting of me going down there and turns out that you had already called the CEO of the organization to uh, check on safety protocols and, and all of these sorts. And luckily, Wine to Water checked out, and, <laughs> but I didn't know that. So you had already done the quality check to make sure I was going to be safe and well taken care of. And, um, and that was the case. And, and when I was in the Amazon for those two weeks, my whole world was completely changed. I came back a different person. And um, from there, I started a local Tampa chapter for Wine to Water, where I was raising uh, money through events in local um, bars and restaurants so that I could give money back to the organization so that they could keep doing more work. So I started that chapter, and then my chapter went on a trip to the Dominican Republic. So that made two volunteer trips before I became an employee about a year after my introduction to Wine to Water. So took the leap of faith, moved to North Carolina to work for Wine to Water full-time and took about 12 volunteer trips within a year uh, to, like you were saying, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Nepal, and the Amazon jungle. Um, got to meet over 250 volunteers that year and just the most beautiful and amazing souls in those countries that we got to work in. And that, that work was truly life-changing and has uh, really set me on a different path in life my perspective of it is through your photos and to hear your stories and you know i see some of those photos that are just to me beautiful the beautiful people and beautiful country uh, the scenery the backdrop that they're in and and you're right for them to have the perspective of 
culture and family and their faith is what gives them their, their fulfillment. You can see it in the photos. So we started out, you, you obviously growing up on the farm, water was in, in your blood, if you will, just like it was mine. And then you spent some time with, with the water management district. You got to go on these trips. You really have a, a good solid base of understanding of, of the importance of this resource. But you know, worldwide, we don't see that perspective. There's a lot of organizations out there what are some of the statistics that maybe we don't know anything about? Back when I got involved in the clean water work, that was probably about six years ago now, the statistics were definitely higher. So I'm looking at them now on World Vision's website, and they're still very rattling. But what I'm encouraged by is I, I believe that they are going down because people are you know, becoming more aware of the water crisis. So here it says 844 million people lack access to basic drinking water, and that's more than one out of every 10 people on the planet. I think back when I was getting involved in this, it was one in four people. So that's, wow. you know, it's improving. Um, a, more, a very staggering statistic for me is that every day, more than 800 children under the age of five are dying from conditions related to poor water quality and sanitation. And this mainly is affecting children, you know, with the, the weakened immune system and, and the elderly. Also, women and children are the ones who are spending over 200 million hours hauling water every day um, as, a, as a whole, as a collective. So these women and children are not able to focus on lives and, and growth and learning and, and working and education because they are hauling water for their, for their families. Mm. The other large statistic or main statistic people use is 2.3 billion people are living without basic sanitation. So it's not just water access. Like I was saying earlier, it's also access to clean water or the ability to clean the water that you do have access to. So the statistics are, are jarring. And, and I think that's why so many of these water organizations come into existence. But uh, some other statistics that I find very profound is uh, that $1 equals clean water for one person for one year. $1. $1. I believe that's still the correct figure there. But I know it's if it's not a dollar, it's maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. So about wow. $1 provides clean water to one person for one year. So just think about that. It's It's a very affordable crisis to be working to alleviate. I, I just remember when I was doing this in my day-to-day -day work, I, I was so amazed by this. And I think all missions and, and charities are worthwhile. However, I think it's just very amazing how affordable, really, how, how inexpensive clean water is. And I think if more people just understood the water crisis and could put just a little bit of effort, whether resources or time or energy into it, I mean, just we can keep bringing these numbers down. But one thing I did notice when I was working in this field, um, and this is completely just my opinion, but it seems like because the figure is so small to work to alleviate the clean water crisis, it seems like if forces were joined and resources were pulled together, more of a difference and more of an impact can be made. I think that people learn about these numbers and, and want to do something, they wanna get up and go, and a lot of times they join forces with a nonprofit, but a lot of times celebrities or, or people that are, are very well off will create their own their own solution as opposed to joining forces 
can really make a huge difference for such a basic need in the world. You're right. You, you do see every celebrity wants to get a cause, and that's great. And, and they, they have a platform, and they bring awareness to it. But if you could combine that effort, man, what we could do to solve so many issues. And we created the Polk Regional Water Cooperative because there are 17 municipalities and a county in Polk County, all with water use permits. Pulling those resources together, we're not all arguing over the same water. If organizations around the world could pull those resources together, man, we could solve a lot of crises real quick, couldn't we? That's right. And just to kind of bring home the approach that um, we got to use with the, with the organization I worked for is, like I've said a few times here, using local people, local resources, which, you know, obviously is what you guys can apply back in Polk County, and it can be applied in, in all regions of the world. So local people, local resources, as well as um, the follow-up. The follow-up is extremely important in doing water work around the world, as it, I'm sure it is also for those projects going on in Polk County. So one thing that we were very adamant about is whenever we did a project, we always, always went back and followed up with those communities within months, within years, and kept that relationship going. So that also feeds into the empowerment and the value of people's lives that they just aren't a figure. They're not just a statistic that we wanted to check off um, that ticker and bring the number down. We actually, you know, it was it is important to build relationships and and just keep growing this community of people that is aware and conscious of people's basic needs and and lack thereof. You do get to the point of saturation where each generation after now understands that importance, and so you brought the communities together and their children and their children's children will know what to do. So eventually we can we can solve the crisis. Yeah, if you hear talks out there on the water crisis from any sort of re- reliable source, I've heard, you know, it's it's very likely to completely cure the water crisis. Um, I, I don't know, you know, the time frame on that, but because it is such a straightforward um, and affordable resource to provide to everyone in the world, I don't think it's it's out of reach to say that every person in the world, every living creature will have access to clean and healthy potable water someday. Thank you, Kaylee. You know, what great insight into water issues around the world. Far too often we forget how important water is to us every day. So here is the obvious question I alluded to earlier. What can you do to safeguard and conserve the water supply you have access to every day. So send your comments and thoughts to lakeseducation at hotmail.com or share your tips on our Facebook page. Just search Lakes Education Action Drive. So see you next time on LEAD. this episode of lead once again thank you florida's horizon and the off-brand studios for your generous hospitality if you would like to be a part of lead and sponsor this podcast just send an email to lakeseducation at hotmail.com to learn more about the lakes education action drive visit them at www.lakeseducation.org please join us on the next episode of lead